rejecting something creates that friction. So for me, it was big to start embracing it. If it weren't for these experiences, it wouldn't have shaped who I am today. A lot of it had to do with shifting my mindset and not rejecting that part of me. What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lynn, and I am your host and advocate for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. Make sure you're subscribed so you can hear more from awesome leaders around the world on the effect that leadership has on the employee experience. We all have difficult experiences that negatively affect us, but rather than spend energy on rejecting or hiding them, why not be uncomfortable and embrace them? Use them as launching points. That's exactly what this episode's guest does. Michelle Vu is a corporate leadership coach helping organizations and their managers embrace the uncomfortable and difficult to grow. So get ready and let's dive in. Hey, Michelle, thank you for taking the time, especially on a weekend to talk with me. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, I want to start off because you've written before Growth can be painful, but you can't make room in your hand to grasp something new if you're holding on to something old. So I'm curious, what are you currently learning to let go of in order to grow? Oh, that is a great question. So my background, um, I've worked in corporate jobs, particularly HR for almost 13 years. And um, probably in the last two years, did I start segueing into more of my own business and becoming an entrepreneur? Um, not having that stability um, of a consistent paycheck. So that's one of those things where for a long time, I was like dabbling my toe in both pools. Like, okay, if I just, you know, have a part-time corporate job, I can invest in this much time in my business. Um, and I it got to a point where I was like, I can't juggle this. I've got to let go of one and go all in on the other. Yeah. Awesome. So what does it mean to you then to lead people first? Um, I, for me, I think leading people first kind of just comes in my nature. And it was one of the biggest points as to why I picked this um, as, you know, for my degree and then also as a career. Um, I do think that leading people first means that you have to be in tune with yourself is how do you connect with someone um, on a heart to heart level if you're not listening to your intuition. So I almost like to call it leading with heart. Um, and this usually goes off of an intuition or feeling um, and people get confused. I think I did too. When I first thought about this, um, it's not so much feeling like your emotions, happy, mad, sad, um, but a feeling like a sense and think of it like a, a fisher or what a hunter does. You know, there's logic behind it too, but it's the intricate connection between your heart, your mind, your body, your breath, everything sinking and moving as one whole. So then decisions that you make and actions that you take that are heart driven are always going to be aligned with the greater good. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Um, I definitely want to get into that in just a little bit, but I want to share some praise from Jesse Martin who shared with me some words about you. And he said, in a society that puts profit first, Michelle really stands out in her empathy and passion for people. I have directly seen how many years, oh, sorry, how seen how her many years of experience leading others in the corporate world is helping the businesses she coaches thrive. 
any business that needs to get their business and people on track would be privileged to have Michelle help make it happen. So that really stood out to me because just his words on how you really do focus on people before profit. And that, that's exactly why I wanted to talk to you. And that leading with heart is very much a part of who you are and what you do. And you've been in HR for you know at least the last 10 years, and you've shared how you've gone through your own ups and downs. At one point, you were at a very low point, maybe a few years back, and your mentor, Robert Sentesh, wrote to you, may life turn magical for you as you continue to peel back the layers of life and see the real and true causes of events and things. Stay strong and persevere and find the true connection to your soul and your calling. So can you walk us through your journey and how you learn to lead people first and lead with heart? Yeah, I think, you know, in a corporate job, emotions and anything that is, you know, feelings, especially love is one of those words that you don't hear often in a workplace. Um, And I think for me, I kind of just turned that off completely being, you know, this is just very systems oriented. I'm just here to do a job, push a button. And I think that transpired into a lot of areas in my personal life. Um, in relationships with my family, with my friends, with significant others. Um, A lot of the times the feedback I got was like, hey, you have this great outer shell presence, but we don't feel like we're connecting with you. Like what's the, who's the real Michelle? What's underneath those layers? Like you put on this great show and it's like, well, we want to know the person behind the curtain. Yeah, for sure. So how, when we look at who someone is behind the curtain and who you are behind the curtain. I mean, what kind of work have you done to allow yourself to be more vulnerable and to show your true self, no matter what situation you're in? Oh my gosh. A lot of it. So Robert Sintez is actually uh, my mentor and a lot of his training incorporates NLP. Um, and it was, I've taken other courses with other NLP um practitioners. And a lot of it was just, here's the tools and, you know, go and figure it out with Robert. It was straight to the root cause of problems. And it first started with accountability. Um, Gosh, I can remember going through, I went through jobs, like people change their clothes. I think every year I had a new job. Um, Every year I had a new relationship, you know, bought a new car every year, moved to a new apartment And it was always like, well, I have bad neighbors or I have a terrible boss. It's never my fault. It's always them, 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 theirs, those people. Um, So a lot of it was learning to accept responsibility in the energy that I'm manifesting and creating um, and what I'm attracting as well. So I think humbling myself and, um, you know, accepting like I have a cause in this I'm a character in this movie, as well as these other individuals Um, and changing that mindset and attracting things that I want rather than not things that I don't want. I think that was a common um, theme for me, even asking, you know, what do you want in a career? Well, I don't want this. I don't want a, a bad boss. I don't want bad, you know, coworkers and shifting that thought process into, well, what do you want? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that mindset shift is really important. And going back just a little bit, I wanted to acknowledge the importance of being humble and you know being self-aware and having that ability to reflect on your own self and being honest with yourself. Right? It's really hard work. You know, it's incredibly hard work because you 
have to dig into places and you probably have to confront things that you've pushed down or away or hid for a very, very long time. You know, no matter where we are in our lives, it's something that we all have to do um, and constantly do, especially as leaders. Uh, And by the way, can you um, explain to those who are listening what NLP is? So it's neuro-linguistic programming. Um, So it's reprogramming your brain and your thought process, kind of uh, thinking processes that you've had for several years. And I know particularly for me growing up as first generation Vietnamese here in America was something very difficult. I think it was instilled in me by my parents that women, especially Asian women are very subservient, quiet, humble. You don't cause a ruckus. You just go with the flow. Um, So that's kind of how I was living life for years until I was like, this isn't working for me anymore. (laughs) Something's got to change. So how have you allowed yourself to fight against those, um, those beliefs that you grew up with or that were instilled with you? First, it was not fighting them and embracing that if it weren't for these experiences, it wouldn't have shaped who I am today. Um, so first and foremost, I think rejecting something creates that friction. So for me, it was big to start embracing it. Um, and then second was reaching out to other individuals um, in that in the community. So I made friends with other Asian um, people in the workplace. And my one of my first mentors um, was an Asian HR, she was the VP of HR and kind of took me under her wing and kind of guided me a little bit with that too. But a lot of it had to do with shifting my mindset and not rejecting that part of me. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think it's real again, Accepting who you are is so, so difficult. And so when we look at, you know, organizations and leaders within organizations, not just allowing them to accept who they are, but to be comfortable with uncomfortability is something that I think we really need to focus on. Mm -hmm. And that's something I've been leaning in more and more into is this, again, this need to have these uncomfortable conversations, these uncomfortable, lean into these uncomfortable realities. Right. And so you've also written about being self-aware when we get triggered by various words or actions. Can you say why it's actually good for us as leaders or organizations to accept these emotions and embrace each other's uncomfortability? Yeah, I think without the triggers, there wouldn't be awareness to the issue. Um, So the same as if you're having interactions, you know, there's individuals who may go into the office and you've got a Debbie Downer in the office and everyone's just kind of like, oh, well, you know, that's Debbie. She's just very negative. And then there's other interactions with people who come across her path who may think, oh my gosh, you know, she's always complaining. She's always got something to say. She's always speaking her mind. So why is it that this triggers you and it may not trigger your coworker? Um, I think that's an important way of your subconscious reminding you, Hey, there's, there's something here that you've got to work on and you've got to heal. Yeah. Well, I love that optimism. I love that again, that positivity mindset. And I wanted to share this praise from Catherine Van Den. I think I'm pronouncing her last name, right? Where she said, Michelle is a constant optimist. She constantly consistently displays a positive attitude and always tries to find a lesson through trials and tribulations. 
Michelle will always find a way to succeed with a philosophy that encompasses that there is no winning and losing, only winning and learning. And I absolutely love that last part because you are constantly learning and working to grow. And I love that drive that you have to grow and develop both personally and professionally. And often we have all of these limiting beliefs that are ingrained in us that hold us back. So you've shared a little bit about, you know, what you grew up with as a first gen Vietnamese American, but what are some of the more other, more difficult ones that you've had to overcome? What are some of those limiting beliefs that you've had to, to kind of climb over? Oh gosh. I think there people don't like to talk about it, but there's definitely a stigma in the workplace. Um, even for myself being in HR and going through resumes, subconsciously, we are just drawn to the John Smith resumes versus the, you know, Jenny Nguyen's or Michelle Vu's um, names that you can't pronounce. A lot of the times, just recruiters, managers, um, people in the workplace is, oh my gosh, am I going to have a hard time communicating with this person? Are they going to be able to get up to speed fast enough? And it's not something that is done with the intention of discriminating, um, but that's how it comes across is when you have that mindset of, well, you know, I have got three weeks to train this person and it's going to be easier for me to relate and build rapport with, you know, Susie Jones versus, you know, Mohammed, whatever, Michelle Vu Nguyen, last names that I can't pronounce. So for me, it was that I think it happened one time. And then I created a limiting belief that because I am an Asian American female, it is going to be extremely difficult to move up in the corporate ladder mm -hmm. or to be able to, you know, get a role where um, I'm not at the bottom of the totem pole. There, I mean, there, there are, you know, there are biases, there are systems that are in, in play that, that do prevent Asian Americans like you and myself um, from moving up. But again, we cannot let that hold us back, right? There's a difference between acknowledging that it's there and con continuously fighting for better again, maybe not even just for ourselves, but those who come behind us or after us. And then looking at that ceiling and be like, okay, well, I guess that ceiling is there and there's nothing I can do. Right. And that, so we have to constantly fight, um, fight through that. And so yeah, I for me, it you. was getting out of that contentment too, is like, well, this is just what it is and I can't do anything to change it. And then shifting that thought process to say, how can I change this? You know, is it, and a lot of the times people forget that it's the energy that you're creating too. So if you walk into a role and you are without even saying it out loud, and if you're thinking, Hey, there's no way I'm going to move up in this ladder. This is kind of just the cookie I was given. It's the same energy that your job, your company, your boss is going to continue to deliver. Yeah. I think that that's something that gets passed over so easily, especially in our society, right? Is this, you know, this idea of energy and feeling. And again, you, you shared how leading with heart is something that you're very focused on and inner, this inner alignment and feeling whole, again, is something we don't talk about, especially in the American culture. Can you talk more about the importance of this inner work and how it's actually to an organization's benefit to support inner work for their employees? Yeah. I think one of the main reasons that, um, I kind of segued into my own business, um, with business leadership coaching is 
it's a problem that I've constantly seen in the workplace, you know, business owners, CEOs, they're always the first ones in the office and the last ones to leave the ones that look the most haggard, tired, um, spending, you know, eating breakfast, lunch, dinner in the office. And so a lot of the times I saw too, that with this lifestyle also came this mindset that their people and their employees were dispensable. And you don't know how many times I've heard this from business owners are sitting at like a leadership meeting where it's, well, Hey, if he or she doesn't like it, they can leave. Um, and I, I think that's the mistake that a lot of business owners, managers, directors, people in leadership roles kind of make is when you're not leading with heart, you're treating people as if they are dispensable. And it took me having to break things down to the value of what that cost. Yes, the individuals are dispensable, but it costs money to post an ad. It costs money to interview the person, to train the person. So at the end of the day, as a business owner, if you're not leading with heart, you're looking at you know $25,000 per employee that you're going to have to replace. And that employee, yes, you're paying them $15 an hour. They can go somewhere else and get a job for $15 an hour. They're not the ones who are hurting. It's you and your business that are hurting with this mindset that people are dispensable. Yeah. I, uh, when you say that, it reminds me of, um, I used to work for an airline and it very famously, you know, caught wind in one of the pilot negotiations that the president was in the negotiations with the pilots. And he said, you guys are just numbers. You don't matter. And it's like, for me that I was much younger, this was like 15 years ago. I was just shocked. And like, to this day, now I understand why I'm shocked. Right. It's like, because people are not numbers, people are not a dollar sign. Like we have to remind business owners and leaders and organizations that their people are actual human beings. And it's, you can't just treat them like, Oh, it's an expense that we can cut. Yeah. It's heartbreaking for me and it's frustrating for me. I don't know how you feel about it, but what do you think of those organizations that just are kind of dismissive of people as people. I think it's going to affect their customer base as well. I mean, you see it all the time now with Walmart, I think was probably the last one that I've heard of, um, of how they're treating their employees and it hurts their customer loyalty. It hurts your brand. Um, and it's definitely something that I'm hoping to change in, you know, the stigma behind corporate America is if you create the entrepreneurial mindset in your employees, then you never have to worry about, you know, even having HR on site, your employees will work as if they are, they have a stake in the company as well. If, you know, you have that mindset where you're treating them, um, with love, with respect. And I think that's something that you don't hear often too, is what do you mean? Love my employees. Like, I don't want to get sued for sexual harassment, Michelle. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, that's not what that means. Yeah. It, it's more compassion, right? It, it's more. And that's where um, I, I, I just spoke with uh, someone else who was sharing how we in the English language, we only have one word for love, but if we go back to uh, Greek, there's actually four words for love, right? And so there's different levels of it. And it's important to acknowledge that we can be compassionate and we can care for the people that we work with. 
um, not necessarily have this romantic right kind of love that everyone thinks about when we say love. And you touched on it a little bit where how uh, managers, especially middle managers and business owners are often like squeezed and mental, just m- mentally, emotionally, and maybe even physically, you know, like you said, being first ones in to the office, last ones out. And we see a lot of communication and engagement breakdowns that happen because of that. And because of that, we also additionally see a lot of burnout and stress. So what have you seen work for those leaders to help them find that inner peace or that uh, help them shift into that leading with heart mindset? Yeah, a lot of it too is, um, so currently right now, what I'm doing is I've put together a 12-week program where I teach business owners directly, working with them, coaching them um, on these systems and processes. So to sum it up, a lot of it is mindset, shifting their mindset from thinking that their employees are dispensable um, to have, teaching how to have an entrepreneurial mindset for all of their staff. Um, a lot of it too is releasing negative emotions. There's many times where along a business owner, a manager's journey, maybe they were hurt by another mentor, another person in the workplace. And that energy is just continuing to spiral and snowball into this job, the next job, um, how this person treated me is now how I'm going to treat my staff. Um, So shifting that as well. Um, And then persuasive communication. I think that's very important in the workplace. Um, You'll see it a lot with individuals who have higher level roles is, well, I'm your manager, I'm your director, and you should do as I'm telling you. And I think that's, for me, it's something I really want to change in the workplace is how do you communicate to your subordinates in a manner that want that has them want to do what you're asking rather than doing it because you're ordering them to. Um, And just like I've, I've heard this in HR too, where employees will come to me and say, you know, my boss came to me and said, if, if I don't do it, he's going to fire me. If I don't like it, she's going to fire me. And I think leading with respect rather than fear is tremendous in motivating your employees and creating that, that workplace culture. Um, so I, that for me, that's what I'm doing right now. And that's what I'm hoping to teach. Um, I think my dream at some point is changing a lot of these fortune 500 companies into more of this, um, mindset and leading with heart rather than, Hey, we've got to meet our numbers. We've got to meet our quarterly goals. And I think a lot of businesses act that way is numbers, Sales and marketing is our number one department. So they're getting all of our attention. Yeah. You know, when, as you say that, I'm just constantly like thinking of like all these memories, especially when you think about numbers, I was at, um, you know, I, I try to be vague when I, cause I don't want to call out like organizations that I've worked with, but um, you know, there's, there's one in particular where it was like, you have to get these customer uh, times, Right down to a certain like level it was like you know essentially under like 48 hours and to respond and get all these answers and so everyone in those departments and those customer departments were like just it didn't matter like the quality went out the window right because it was all about speed and so you create it essentially inadvertently created this culture of 
like hustle and hustle and hustle without, and then that started deteriorating relationships between coworkers because they were always focused on this time, hitting this time and screw everyone else that I'm working with. I have to focus on this time that I, I'm you know, working to get down. Mm-hmm. And when we look at, again, these policies and this, these focuses, it actually has an effect on the employee experience, which mm-hmm. leads to disengagement within employees. It leads to le- a lower quality and a poor customer journey, and which then leads to lower revenues and lower customer satisfaction. So if you had a magic wand for these work environments and you could create your own ideal employee experience, what would that look like for you? Oh, wow. I think the employee experience always just starts with transparency. Um, It's I'll tell us a story. I worked for a company where you had all the executives on one end of the office and there was this long hallway that you walk through. And then the other side of the office was you know, the leadership team called them like, oh, the other, the other side. And there was like, not only was there segregation in the office, but it was a clear segregation that all the CEOs and VPs sat on this side. And then everyone else sat on the other side. Um, And I think in a perfect workplace, if I can wave a magic wand would be again, for the leadership of the organization to accept a responsibility that it's not just the employees that need training. You can send them to trainings all day, but if you're not doing anything to grow and to overcome hurdles in your life, how are you going to expect any change in your organization? You know, you're going to get employees that are going to constantly sue. You're going to get disgruntled employees. You're going to have, you know, employee relations issues. Like I've seen great organizations where they don't even have HR on site. They're like, hey, you know, we have an attorney that we reach out to, but we rarely see any issues because our employees are treated with compassion, empathy, respect, and they have transparency. We include them, you know, in meetings. We have roundtable discussions or all hands meetings where we're transparent with what our numbers look like and they have input in the direction of the company. And it's not just, hey, come in, push a button on the wall, clock out and go home. Um, even for me being in HR, the training that I've gotten early on in my career was to never apologize. Can you imagine being, you know, in HR, you're the first word in our title is human, human resources. And I was instructed, you know, when you're doing a termination, don't ever apologize because it's the employee's fault that they're being fired. And so I'm sitting here, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to tell John that we're laying him off because his position is being eliminated. And I have to go in there with a mindset and a tone that this is his fault. Um, And, you know, I remember sitting there and watching him cry and he's like, you know, I'm the primary breadwinner in my family. I've got two kids and my wife's got a third on the way and you guys are firing me. And for me, it was very like robotic, like here's the pamphlet sign here. Here's your paycheck. Have a good day. (laughs) That, that drives me nuts, especially when um, I've been on the surviving end of, you know, some layoffs and when leadership comes back and I think people who know me will, this will sound familiar is they say, well, it was a business decision, right? It's removing emotion out of it Mm -hmm. as if that 
changes anything for both of the employees that are still at the organization and the previous employees who are no longer at the organization, as if that makes things better. It's like we were talking about before, you know, accept these uncomfortable moments, accept the humanization of this difficult time, because yes, it might be draining. It might be tough, but it's even worse if you just try to sweep it under the rug, because then there's suppressed emotions that don't get to be dealt with. And it's so important to deal with those things. And I wanted to go back to, you know, this idea of feeling, right? This idea of leading with heart and feeling. And you were saying how it's like, you know, it's not necessarily an emotion, but it's like how a hunter or a fisher will go out. Can you explain a little bit more about what that looks like and how that might merge with the more practical business sense of, you know, carrying out strategy or developing strategy and then actually implementing different projects? Yeah, I think in, in work in general, people, it's our culture and society that the busy, the busier you are, the more important you look. And I've made it um, a rule of thumb that if I am in a frantic state or if I'm overwhelmed, that that's the best time to do absolutely nothing. And it's almost counterintuitive. Like, what do you mean? I've got so much on my plate and you want me literally to just do nothing. But in that moment of doing nothing, you're able to quiet all the noise and the distraction and tune into your intuition, your, your gut feeling, if you want to say. Um, and usually when you do that, your intuition is where you're listening to your heart and making those decisions from a place where you're calm, you're not acting out of fear, out of panic, out of scarcity. Um, and I think that's what happens a lot of times in the workplace is we make these decisions based on risk, you know, which is basically fear, um, or you're in a panic and it's like, oh my God, I uh, like, let, let's, let's just do this. Like, let's merge, let's acquire this company rather than, Hey, you guys, let's, let's take some time and like, go home, rest, sleep on it, meditate. And before we make that decision. Yeah. Well, what do you tell those organizations or those leaders specifically where they say, well, intuition is like, you can't measure intuition. I don't know how to back up intuition with data, right? We're always like data, 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 number, number, numbers, right? So for those leaders or those managers, how do you justify intuition versus when they say like, here's the analytics, or this is what the data tells me. Mm. You're right. It's not something that you can measure, but it's, it's, it is again, it's a feeling like when you get customer service surveys from Apple, or you go to a store and you purchase something and they ask you, Oh, well, you know, like, how was your experience? I think you can measure it in things like employee exit surveys that's where employees will be the most candid about their experience um, where they will, you know, now they've got nothing to lose. So everything's out in the open and in the organizations where I've worked with, where it's leading with heart and listening to intuition, those surveys are just, Hey, like, I'm, I feel like I'm making a terrible mistake by quitting the organization, but it's only because I'm moving because my spouse is in the military and they're relocating rather than data and analytics of I'm quitting because I hate my job, because I hate my boss, because I hate my coworker. Um, I never get to see my family. So I think in data and analytics, you will see it in the culture of your organization, the happiness of your employees, 
And then in return, the happiness of your customers. I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah. If, again, if you focus on those, uh, those feelings, you will see it in the long run. You will see it happen over time. Uh, before we get going, I wanted to ask you one more question. What is the impact that you want to have on those that you lead? I think the impact that I, I want is for them to love, to love life, to love their job, that your job can also be your passion. And how do you, you know, change that? I think a lot of the times people just look at it like, well, you know, I started this company or I worked my way up and now I'm a VP and this is just the way it is. Um, so what the impact that I'm looking to leave is change starts with yourself and then it trickles outwards to those around you. Think of it as like a ripple effect when you throw a rock into a pond. So you're in a position where you're a leader and it's not weak to ask for help ever. And knowing that there's a solution to the exact problem that you're experiencing and raising your hand, we've got an outlet of resources now just with podcasts, with YouTube, with Facebook groups, where you can reach out to other individuals, ask for help, but it starts with accepting responsibility and then seeking that. Wonderful. Well, I want to leave you with one final word of praise from your mentor, Robert, who shared with me, I have known Michelle for many years and I have seen her grow immensely. Her family and her background certainly gave her many challenges to overcome and master. No leader is a true leader unless he or she overcomes challenges and perceived limitations from the past, rises above them, and lifts people up from their stuck states. Overall, Michelle has been on a path of self-mastery, which is the key to a trusted leader. So Michelle, thank you again. What would you like our listeners to do next? Oh, this is great. I think it's listen, listen and lead in your life with your heart. Follow your intuition, your gut. It'll never lead you astray. There are times where, yeah, your, your brain, your ego will try to jump in there, but it's practice just like working out is, you know, you're practicing and teaching and training a muscle. You've got to do the same with your intuition. It's a muscle that you constantly have to practice. And by practicing it with meditation, with quieting your mind and removing those distractions. And pretty soon your intuition will speak loud and clear as if it's a person in the room sitting next to you. Awesome. Michelle, again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was a lot of fun to talk to you and really connect with someone else who is all about the heart and about people. So I look forward to seeing what happens for you next and we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Leading People First podcast. Not only is it important for us to embrace our own experiences to grow personally, but as people first leaders, we need to show those around us that they can embrace their past as well and that we are willing to support them and accept them for who they are. If you like this episode, click subscribe and hit that share button to send it to someone who needs to connect with Michelle and maybe needs help in their own organization. Let's keep this conversation going by telling me what you learned or loved from this episode on LinkedIn or Instagram. Thank you again for tuning in. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.